For me, the biggest challenge is opening restaurants more than working in the kitchen. When you turn your dream into a business, it's a whole nother level of challenge compared to when your passion is your career. Working for someone versus being your own boss and having to make the make your passion into a business and make the business into a profitable business so that you can support the people that you hire troubleshooting all the problems that you face whether it's from customers from you know department of health or from equipment being broken down or from price surge or from labor costs all of that that is all challenging Every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Flavors Unknown podcast. I am your host, Emmanuel Laroche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with acclaimed chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists from around the country. And today, we are having a conversation with Chef Simon Tong, the mastermind behind Austin's latest sensation, Zoe Tong Restaurant. Today, we'll explore Chef Tong's multicultural upbringing and how it's flavored her approach to food. We'll get, of course, an inside look into a Zoe Tong restaurant in Austin. So sharpen your knives and let's peel back the layers of Chef Simon Tong's culinary world. It's going to be a delicious episode you don't want to miss. Hi, Chef. Uh, how are you? Welcome to uh, Flavors Unknown. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. Well, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Oh, that's no, it's great. You know, I'm glad that you know I saw you when uh, on my recent recent trip in Austin, and uh, because I had such a great experience at Little Tongue in in Manhattan several years back, and I was uh, excited. I, in fact, didn't know that at that time that you moved to to move to Austin. So, and and I had a great tasting experience. So, thank you for for <laughs> having you. me. It was a great surprise to see you in my restaurant again, this time in a new city. <laughs> so I, I would like to talk um, a bit about your your background and your early influences. So, you know, obviously you are originally from China, correct? So mm-hmm. yes. I, I just want you know, if you can share maybe a memorable food experience or smell or taste mm-hmm. from your childhood that has stayed with you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have a few memorable childhood experiences. It depends on how long we have. The first one was walking on the street. You know, this is like in the early, in the mid 1980s, winter time in this city called Chengdu, which is the capital of Sichuan province. One of the food cities now very renowned for its beautiful, amazing tingling, Sichuan peppercorns and all that. But in the early days, my grandmother took me on the street and we would do something, run an errand. Before we go home, there would be this uh, coal, you know, coal fire. Like a charcoal, but not really charcoal. It's just literally coal. And they will have sweet potatoes that is toasting. 
or yeah, heating up sweet potatoes and it, the the caramelized flavors of sweet potatoes in the winter time in you know communist China was just stick to my mind because it was crispy, it was sweet, it was moist, it was just a beautiful texture. The second thing was I remember, and this is still by far my favorite thing to eat is young soybeans. Uh, young soybeans, well, you know, in America we know that as edamame, but young soybeans that's like also cold baked or toasted and blanched it was just the most delicious fragrance to me so this is before 10 years old and then i have a mem- i have i have two memories after 10 years old now this is in this is in zhuhai zhuhai is basically crossing the border of macau which is in the southern part of china uh, canton province and i remember eating this black pepper stir fry beef tenderloin. So, you know, in China, traditionally, if you uh, adults um, do business deals in a, a restaurant ta- on a restaurant table, and I was a kid, they would be talking business and they look down and I will finish the entire plate of <laughs> stir-fried beef tenderloin, black, black pepper sauce. Also, the drunken shrimp. So you put some Saoxing wine, you, they'll showcase this shrimp is still alive. They'll put it in a glass and they'll shake it with wine. And then the next thing, they bring it back to you with steamed, beautiful shrimp. And you dip it with a light soy sauce with Saoxing wine. Oh, so good. So fresh. So much umami. Still very vivid in your memory. So. And uh, yes, um, and have you ever leveraged the, those experiences in any of your dishes? I, I have not yet. Because steamed, steam, drunk, I mean, I've not exactly did it deliver in the same way because I don't know how many people like to peel shrimp in the American dining table. But you can eat that in Chinatown, get your fingers dirty because, you know, it's a traditional dish. As for stir-fried beef tenderloin, yeah, we we have it in different variations of it, like the latest the latest version I did was Texas Wagyu Koji cured skirt steak. Uh, we charred it, grilled it in binchotan. We do a dali, you know, like a Yunnan herbal sauce relish with a cherry tomato confit and broccolini and chili oil. So it's not exactly, but it's still the same kind of beef and broccoli or beef and pepper. Kind of variation. And and what about the first one you talked about, which is the sweet potato, charred sweet potato with a sweet caramelized, you know, because that, that could maybe, you know, resonate well with the American consumer. It does. It does. You know, I so then later on, I came to the States and they, they, they do have sweet potato fries. I think some... Some memories are kept like holy because you were so young. I was so young. I was four years old. And memories sometimes taste better in memory. That's than, true. Than the, you know, if I were to do it exactly like what it is, you're not, you're not like resources are not so scarce. You are not as excited about just pure toasted baked sweet potatoes. <laughs> You grew up in these various parts of like the Eastern Hemisphere. So how, how did it shape your understanding of food and culture? I believe that food is very related to memory. 
emotions for this very opinionated. It's all very subjective and it's very personal because everybody grew up differently. Everybody sees what sees authenticity differently. So it's hard to please everybody when you have a restaurant, especially when you have a restaurant that you 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 claim to make modern Chinese food. Because what 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 that does it really mean? Or new Chinese cuisine? What does it really mean? Different different people have different translation of that. Or people didn't like the name of it. But so but you, what I believe that you just have to make you do your best to make it delicious and pay respect to the ingredients itself, and the rest you know. There are people that doesn't like it. There are people that like it.、Uh, that's just part of life. So as different as I grew up in different places in Asia, in China, in Singapore, I learned to appreciate different flavors of Asian cuisine or Chinese cuisine because they're just vastly different. And in the beginning, you know, when I was first went to Macau, when I was you know four years old, when I first went to move to Singapore, when I was ten years old, it is. A bit of a challenge. Even when I came to university in North Carolina, it is a bit of challenge to adapt to the flavors of this town. But you know, food is a malleable thing. You can learn to like something after you eat it like five times.、Mm -hmm. I I still remember. I had a chance to go twice to Singapore, and I still remember the、mm -hmm. spicy crab there.、Uh, the、mm. dishes on spicy crab are、yes. so delicious. I, yes, I really love. Did you like it the first time you had it? Yeah, in fact, yes. But I,、yeah. I, it burned my. I have to say, burned my lips. Was, yeah, you know. But I, it, it grew up on you know on on me, and but、yeah. I think I had too much. In fact, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I think something, <laughs> some dish, some dish, some some cuisine, some dish. They're like instantly likable, and some dish in some cuisine are just like you. You gotta try a few times, like、uh, fish balls. Texturally, it's very different, or beef tendons, beef tripe. A stinky tofu, you know. So chicken feet. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Chicken feet. I think I never passed that. You know, that challenge of the chicken feet.、Yeah. I mean, the you know all the <laughs> other offal is fine because coming from France, I have you know I've tasted、mm -hmm. like you know tripes and even if it's obviously、yes. prepared dif differently and blood sausage and、yes. you know and, and、yes. all of that. So so I,、yeah. I'm, I'm used to that. I grew up with it.、Mm -hmm. So you you mentioned that you know you came to the U.S. and you've been to University of, of North Carolina. What did what did you study、mm -hmm. at the time? Yeah, I studied. It was not food psychology. Yeah, it was not food at all. Yeah,、oh, it wasn't food.、No. It was psychology and economics. Oh, okay. So,、yeah. how psychology and economics led you to、uh, an interest in cooking?、Uh, it didn't.、Uh, it was clearly unrelated to what I study. In fact, before I, I changed my major to psychology and economics, I wanted to be a juris, you know, studying statistics. And before that, I want to be an architect. So clearly, I'm someone who think that I can do everything, anything in the world. And I change my interests very frequently until I decided to be a chef.、Uh -huh. uh, but I was a food lover. I love to eat. I'm not. I I don't think I was someone who loved to cook. I I was someone that loved to eat. Okay. I still am someone that loves to eat.、Uh -huh. So what did I? How did I become a chef? When I was in college. When I was still studying psychology and economic major, my mom had a restaurant in Chengdu, a cafe slash restaurant right across from the U.S.、Um, consulate in Chengdu. One day, a French chef stopped into the restaurant, and he looked around. He was like, "Ah, is someone in charge here?" So I had to translate to I have to translate for him because my mother doesn't speak、uh, much English. 
he speak he speak English with a f- deep French accent. He's like, I would like to be the chef here. <laughs> we were like, what? Oh, what? He's like, I like your ambience. You know, at the <laughs> restaurant, my mom's restaurant is called Cafe Forenza. Uh-huh. They were, my parents were art dealers, art collectors. So clearly they liked, he likes the ambience. He thinks it's a very, you know, cute little, it could turn into a very cute little bistro for him. And my mom was also very spontaneous. My mom's like, okay, yes, let's do it. So oh, wow. he went, he, yeah, he came to the kitchen, talked to the chef. The chef was very happy to be his sous chef. So that summer I translate from English to Sichuanese during service. And I get to see and watch him plate. And I, that was the first time I was like, wow, it, like food, he's doing art on the plate. This is amazing. Yeah, and this chef used to work at Houston at the Hilton Hotel in Houston. Has cooked for the uh, has cooked for the old Bush. Has cooked for the old mm, Rush, Russian president Yeltsin. A, I think that's his name before. So yeah, it's it's very long story short. I got inspired, so I came back to UNC Chapel Hill and started having dinner parties. And you know, of course, I don't know how to cook, but that was fun. Plating and having dinner parties was fun. After I graduated, I worked for, for different, you know, different, different in- industries. And one day I was like, I should be a chef. I'll just be a chef. So I w- did some research and I found this school called Institute of Culinary Education in New York. Then it was on 23rd Street between 5th and 6th. And I applied and I got in and I told my parents, I'm going to be a chef. They were like, you're crazy. <laughs> So I went anyway in 2010. I went to the school for about 10 months. I did culinary management and culinary arts. And I really decided to go to New York because of this restaurant called WD50 by Chef Wiley Dufresne. And I was just obsessed about, you know, the the molecular gastronomy evolutions of making food from science, understanding food in a different way, a different perspective playing with psychology, playing with people's emotions and playing with different textures. And I I thought Chef Wiley has a great sense of humor when it comes to American food. So I decided to go to New York and I staged there, intern, intern there. And then I worked there afterward. Do you have like people and chefs that you consider to be your mentors and people that something that you really, that, you know, influenced you and, and, it would be interesting to understand what you have learned from them. Yeah, I think working at WD50, I was considered Chef Wiley to be my mentor. I mean, he was my chef chef. He will always be my chef. He taught me a lot of things, maybe uh, directly and indirectly. And in the restaurant, which I think is an institution, unfortunately, it closed in 2014. I think in the restaurant, you learned... A lot of things just more than cooking. You learn how to be a person. You learned integrity. You learned really integrity. You can't really bluff your way through cooking because the ultimate result is just in your face. People can taste that. If you undercook something, overcook something, if you season, overseason it, underseason it, it's just, it's so naked. You feel so naked. So yeah, you can't, you can't lie your way through, through life in the kitchen. So it taught me a lot of, it taught me to be humble. It taught me that I can be, I am not the smartest person in the room. I am not the best person in the room. It drives me to the limit of giving up many times because it is a very tough environment. Kitchen is a very tough environment. 
So it really is an unforgettable experience. So what was like the most, I would say, uh, wow moment that, you know, you faced when you started in, in the kitchen that was like way different from, you know, the experience in a culinary school and something that we, you were not maybe expecting? Yeah, I mean, so s slightly before I went to culinary school, I did do a stage in Singapore. So I, I did realize how hard it is to be working in the kitchen. I remember I was, I was, I was waking up at six o'clock. I went to work at 7 a.m. and then we finished work at 11 or 12. And most of the time I was doing, now to think about the simplest things, right? Cleaning potato skins, scrubbing potato skins for like four hours. I'm like, this is impossibly hard. <laughs> I'm so tired from scrubbing potato skins and clearly I wasn't fast. So I then realized this, this wanted to becoming a chef. The dream is really not the same as reality. Mm -hmm. Hence, there are many times I wanted to give up, to be honest, especially after you work, you know, 60 hours or 80 hours, you are so exhausted from doing the same thing over and over again. By the time you get out of the restaurant, it's like 1am. Clearly, there is not much of a diversity of life. So it really have to, you know, you you really have to dig deep to see what to ask yourself why are you doing what you're doing. But it has a lot of satisfaction. I think the the camaraderie of service and doing great things and having people liking the food, having a busy service, just cooking everything all at once, it's beautiful. You can't really experience that anywhere um, else. Anywhere else, yeah. of course. Maybe in a symphony orchestra, right? Because I, I think people that do a lot of things together mm -hmm. is creating the same thing together is a beautiful thing. So this is, you know, this camaraderie and doing things together is one of the, you know, the plus to be a chef. But, you know, what is the worst things, you know, in being a, a chef from your point of view? If there's any. The worst thing? Yeah. Well, the worst thing, the worst thing of becoming, of being a chef or working in a restaurant as a cook is that you really don't have a life, work-life balance. <laughs> you, it's really hard to have a family if you are a chef or have a relationship. Most of the people celebrate, you know, holidays uh, or Valentine's Day or New Year's, Chinese New Year's, you will be working. Or if you are sick, you might not really have the luxury of fully recover or if you if you need to have a, a vacation somewhere it might be a little bit harder to get a vacation right and you're always on your feet you're always on your toes you are physically uh, exhausted and yeah the, the, talking about work-life balance or mental health that might be something you have to be prepared for okay so was it the thing that was the biggest challenge you would say that you faced in your career or were there, you know, others when you look back? Are you talking about, okay, me, for me, the biggest challenge is opening restaurants more than working in the kitchen. I think when you turn your dream into a business, it's a whole nother level of challenge compared to when your passion is your career, you know, working for someone versus being your own boss and having to make the make your passion into a business and make the business into a profitable business so that you can support the people that you hire and 
troubleshooting all the problems that you face, whether it's from customers, from from you know Department of Health, or from equipment being broken down, or from lack of like, or from price surge, or from labor costs. Yeah, all of that. That is all challenging. All challenging. Yeah. Can you share a moment in your career that you are particularly proud, particularly proud of? <laughs> when I, I think okay. I didn't really feel that proud, but to look back, I think it's an achievement when I get a good review from the New York Times. Oh, okay. With um, with Little Tong, it was? Oh, yeah, yeah, with Little Tong. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly after opening for four months, it was a two-star review. You know, granted, it wasn't like a... <laughs> but it was still a very good review. And while I was in it, I didn't felt that there was you know, there was anything that great, but everybody was so excited for me. Of course, I was in the weeds. (laughs) Suddenly you went from a little noodle shop, nobody know you much, and then everybody's lining up to eat and try the food that New York Times wrote about. My husband told me it was a a great achievement. It was the first little great Mm -hmm. achievement I had. And now to think back, I think I should give myself some credit for it. Yeah. Okay, but at at that time, you you didn't know. uh, yeah, at that time, I, I mean, even now, I still, I, mean, I think it was a, it's the right time, the right place, and the right moment. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I cut you off. You wanted to say that you add something. Oh, I, I, I still don't think it was the. Pr- <laughs> I think giving birth to my children is the. Oh, of course. <laughs> but when it comes, to, yes. Or, or opening, or opening restaurants, opening any restaurant, it, you know, is I feel proud of that. Or, or being able to support our employees uh, during pandemic as much as we can. I think that's a proud moment. Yeah. I think just opening a restaurant is a proud moment to celebrate. So, you know, you, you talked about like challenges and difficult moments. So if there's something you wish you had known where you began your culinary career? Mm, I wish I, no, I do not quite the opposite. I wish I, it's good that I don't know how challenging it is. Oh, okay. If I if I had known how difficult it is, like if I had known, I would have never done it. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> People only do things when they don't know how difficult it is. This is what I think. Oh. I only did it because I thought it's going it's going to be great. Okay. I I thought, you know, after I left WD50, I was like if I could only have one restaurant, I would be the happiest person for the rest of my life. Clearly, after I had one restaurant, it wasn't the case. <laughs> It's best that you don't know how hard it is. Okay. But you believe that you can do it, even if it's hard. Okay. Hmm. Every now and then, people uh, found found me on in a school in a school website. You know, Institute of Culinary Education. They they email me. They ask me for advice. I I told them. I didn't tell them it's best you don't know how hard it is. I actually tell them exactly how what I've been through and. Without exaggeration, how much, how ma- how long the hours you have to work for, how many times you get burned, how stressful or sleep deprived, how underpaid you are, and then I told them honestly, the best thing you should do is go and write letters to restaurants that you really like to eat at, and see if they will give you the chance to to stage to stage. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, and to stage as many as you can. And to do that for at least one month. And if you still like the idea of being a chef or being a cook after that, or it gets you even more excited, then it might be the job for you. But going through it 
until now, I still think that it's best not to know much. <laughs> if you know much, you, can, you won't do it. If you wouldn't have been a, a chef, what um, completely different profession outside the culinary arts would have chosen and why? Oh, that's a great question. I actually have thought about it and I have three professions in my next life. The first one is I would love to be a florist. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. By the way, there was a beautiful flower bouquet that next to where <laughs> at the bar, where I was, I don't know if it Thank was you. you that put it together, but it's, it was wonderful, you know, next to where flowers. I was sitting. And I love flowers. So <laughs> my kids yes, always give me, the kids, my, my children always give me hard time, say, you dad and your plants, you know. <laughs> so that's a joke <laughs> at home as well. So I can relate. <laughs> But 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 just so you know, I, I own I I'm a florist. Only flower arrangement. Uh -huh. I cannot grow uh -huh. any plants. Oh, you don't have the green hands. My okay. husband always say, "So you're buying more plants to kill them?" <laughs> because uh, I do not have a green thumb. I don't know how to. Okay. You know, I don't know. I all yeah. I kill them. Okay. But the second one would be an architect. I know this will be another impossible profession because most likely it's not able to achieve the level that you call yourself architect but i thought that would be great okay that was my first dream job yeah and what's the third uh, what the third you said three the third one is slightly related to cooking but really it's not but i would love to be a surgeon no <laughs> Okay, there's knife involved. <laughs> there's knife and life involved. That's true. Uh, Hopefully, have, yes. Have, uh, in the restaurant, you know, we were always like, "Oh, come on, don't be so stressed, or don't be so." It's not like you are, you know, yeah. you are doing a surgery. Yeah. You're just cooking. You know. So. <laughs> okay, so let, yes. let's switch on, you know, to the food part. So, how, how would you describe your unique culinary style my culinary style might be just as amb ambiguous and messy as my up up upbringing you know like that's why i love new york when i first went to new york and i stand in the middle of the street you f i feel like home because nobody nobody will give me two cents everybody's everybody's every colors every you know everybody look different it's like a whole little united nation whereas if i were to be in singapore in macau in china in australia people always think i'm a foreigner no matter where i go hmm. because i move everywhere and i don't really have an authentic accent of anywhere okay and so so what's the situation in, so, in austin because it's not as melting pot than than manhattan is yeah, but it's still a place, it's still a city that is very vibrant, very exciting. People here, people here, I would say pretty artistic and they pay, they, they take great pride in food and in sauces because, you know, you just have so many different sauces every time you eat a taco, four different kinds of sauces for you to choose from or condiments and they have fresh chilies. So they, they like spicy already. You don't have to convince them to take spicy. In fact, I have people that come to a restaurant like telling me that it's not spicy enough. Do I have anything more spicy? It was like, good for you. <laughs> you know, so it's a little bit different. It take me a month or two to get the sense that I'm not, I'm not in New York. 
but it took me a year or two to really like it. Now I really love it. Okay. So going back to your culinary style, and you said that you are not from a specific place. So are you bringing then in your cooking all those experiences that you had, you know, throughout like the, the Eastern atmosphere, the hemisphere? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought that I make food that makes sense to me and make food that tastes good to me. And then I make food that I learn from different places. So I use ingredients, I mix match ingredients. So if there's a dish that you are created that you feel best represent your approach to cuisine. Yeah. I would say that in Zoe Tong, every dish is best representation of everything coming from everywhere. So I give you an example, like my chili oil, uh-huh. like chili crisp, chili oil. Ever since little Tong, the restaurant in New York, the first restaurant in New York, we always make our own yep. condiments. Yep. And to my surprise, I used about uh, 65% of guajillo chili in our chili oil, chili crisps. And they turned out to be just so fragrant, so toasty, so much death. The whole, in fact, the whole restaurant smells great because of that. And I was a little skeptical of using it because, you know, it doesn't taste like the authentic Sichuanese chili crisp. Obviously, even making chili crisp, chili oil in New York doesn't taste like authentic Chinese because our chili peppers are different. But then using guajillo chili, it's a whole other level of being different, but yet it's so amazing. So also in soy sauce, we use three different kinds of soy sauce. We use, okay, obviously we, we use tamari, but we also use a Taiwanese brand of soy sauce and we use the Sichuan Chinese, Chinese, Chinese brand of soy sauce because I realized to cook, to to walk a soy sauce with Japanese soy sauce, it gives give a little bit of a bitterness to it. Whereas if you walk a Chinese soy sauce in a dish, it actually tastes much better. What is the brand? But, what uh, is the brand of Chinese uh, soy sauce that you're using? It's called Pearl River Bridge Gold Gold Label soy sauce. Pearl River Bridge Gold Label. Okay. Yeah, wow. Pearl, Pearl yeah. River Bridge Golden Label Superior Light Soy. Okay. It tastes much better. I mean, I, it, tastes, it tastes different when you cook with Japanese soy sauce and Chinese soy sauce or Taiwanese soy sauce. So we're just experimenting and trying to see which one it's the, it, which one, you know, tastes supreme. And then when it comes to fried rice, I don't put soy sauce in my fried rice because I never had soy sauce in my fried rice growing up. And, you know, I change my fried rice according to whatever the farm is available, literally. So they will, I'll get, a, I'll get an email from this place called Steel Bowl Farm near Austin. And you, they get the, you, you get a list of vegetables and you make an order. They harvest for you when the second you make an order. So the vegetables are super, super beautiful and super fresh, super seasonal. And I think that's the essence of, you know, our Chinese, my Chinese restaurant at least, it's a seasonal Chinese restaurant, which is what Chinese restaurant stands for most of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think that, you know, the a concept that people don't have, correct? Because when people think about Chinese mm-hmm. food, first of all, they, they think maybe less now, but um, let's say the average American maybe to think about, mm-hmm. you know, like the American Chinese food and not, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the Chinese food that is really inspired by what you just mentioned by the season. So. Yeah. When people think of French, Italian, uh, Japanese, they think of seasonality, right? But th- th- those are also very ancient cuisines and chi- Chinese cuisines are very, very ancient. And, you know, it's since it's so ancient, so people have lack of, you know, 
uh, uh, ways to get around. So they obviously eat what's in season and what's around it. <laughs> so, so my Zoe Tong is called Austin Chinese. Austin Chinese. Because yeah. we're just getting, getting the produce and the, the proteins and the vegetables and everything around us as much as we can. So before we go too deep into Zoe Tong, how is Zoe Tong different from Little Tong that you had in Manhattan? Well, but in principle I and mean, in philosophy, it's not so much different. Okay. Little Tong, I was also obsessed about going to Union Square Market or try to see what's in season. But in size and in concept, it's a little different because Little Tong was 100 square feet and Zoe Tong is 8,000 square feet, including outdoors, 8,000 square feet. And it's, it's and Zoe Tong is a more expensive, expensive by the diverse, the variety of dish. And Little Tong was mainly a rice noodle shop that trying to also add other stuff that is creative and in season. But I was excited. I was excited then opening Little Tong. I'm very excited now opening Zoe Tong. Mm-hmm. How long have you been open now? How, how many months? Today is the 19th of December. We've been open one month and nine days. Ah, yes. So I was almost at the beginning. <laughs> so a few days yes, after you, you opened. Were. Yeah. Very cool. So how, how does Zoe Tong reflect uh, your evolution as a chef? I'm a, a more comfortable under my own skin. Uh-huh. I think it reflects a sense of maturity, a little more experience, a little better execution. And still, you know, playful and creative in ways because I'm going to always be a kid by in heart. But it also reflects me as, I think, I hope, like I'm, as a mom. I'm kinder to the people that I work with. I'm more, I'm more appreciative. Uh, I'm more grateful to, to the people I work with or work for me. And I'm very happy going to work. And I, I really wanted to make sure that my people are also happy working in the restaurant because it's a hard, harsh environment. Pleasing people or servicing people, it's always a harsh job. Whether you are a nurse, a cook, a dishwasher, a server, yeah, or a, or a teacher. Dealing with people is always hard. So we try to take care of each other. So I think to answer your question, I hope it's I'm a much better person. I'm much better because of that. I'm a better chef, a better boss, a better leader. So how do you balance tradition and innovation in the menu at Zoe Tong? I don't think I try to innovate as for the sake of innovation. I think sometimes it's always coming from a place that, oh, I really like to eat that. Oh, I really think this is delicious. Whether it's in the past or somewhere I stumble upon or, you know, because you can always like new things, right? And then with that, I would taste and test and taste and test. And afterwards, once you're happy with the, once I'm happy with the dish, I just, it's suddenly evolving. Once you, the dish goes on the menu, a week by week, it maybe I take off a couple of more components or I add on a couple of more components. And by the time the dish is coming off the menu, that's when it's perfect. So it's an evolving balance of traditional innovation. And, and I know you started that not, you know, not too long ago, but do you feel that there's already some dishes that are going to become signature dishes at Zoe Tong? I mean, there are obvious dishes that we hope that they will become a signature dish. 
But sometimes you never know. Some people like it, some people don't, right? So to my surprise, I think the shrimp toes is a thing that people just love. And I'm not sure if they actually had shrimp toes. Like my husband, his husband has never heard of shrimp toes. I was like, how can you not heard of shrimp toes? I thought everybody knows shrimp toes. Mm, no, I don't think uh, I know. But <laughs> No. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. It's probably in my own head that I thought everybody knows shrimp toes. And I think, <laughs> I hope and I think the instant classic, even though this is so cliche, is the hometown wonton. Because I think my wonton is something I would eat that every day. And that's nothing innovative about it. But... I think that's just very well made. You know, we make our own spiced soy. It's not spicy, but spiced soy. So it has a, it's, it's basically my, it's basically what I like as a seasoning for the wonton as a kid. And I never change. It never change. And it's still really great. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at the pictures that I have taken. I have to say that you were kind enough to, you know, give me, you know, a serving of the, I think it was the ribs, correct, that you have? Oh, the ribs, uh, the, the sassy ribs. Yes. So talk to me about the sauce that you have there, because that was really amazing. Yeah. So the sassy, it, it's, a, it's a Cantonese uh, barbecue style, which basically means a uh, fork hanging, a hook hanging. So you hang usually a pork bark or pork shoulder, marinated with multiple different sauces, including roast wine, fermented tofu, brown sugar, hoisin sauce caramelization and it's a yeast that is a red rice yeast that gives the coloring it's not just full coloring it's actually a red rice and then you roast it because of the caramel and the pork flavor it brings out such umaminess to the pork and it's sassy and we thought we should do it on the ribs because here in texas people love barbecue pride and joy sure and we inherited this restaurant used to own by another restaurant name called billy's barbecue and they have a smoker at the back a real smoker so we smoke our ribs marinated in our own um, tasio sauce that we made with tahinis peanut butter and a bunch of other spice and maltos and rose wine and people love it i mean you know talking about finger food i think that's kind of the one of the best things yeah yeah absolutely food that it's uh, ribs. The other piece, the other one that I really love was your smoked uh, Japanese scallops that you had on the menu. I don't know oh, if they're still there, but they were, yeah. I mean, so refined and delicious. And uh, I think that's the Thank first you. time that I tasted smoked scallops. I love scallops. Mm -hmm. That's my go-to when I see scallops on the menu. And I was intrigued when yes. I saw that dish. And, you know, with the trout row, I had that before, but you had this blood orange, you know, and then they had mm -hmm. the, the mushroom, you know, in there as well, the wood ear. Yes. And it was a brand yes. butter chili. And the yeah, exactly. That was so good. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. And that that actually talking about hopefully improving a dish instead of the poor tea. Now we use jasmine tea smoke and it does make the scallop have a, a floral note because the jasmine tea smoke comes out pretty fragrant and then i also added on gooseberries because we have it in the in one of in the, in one of our purveyors but wood year mushroom is still there and i i changed just you know a little bit uh, improvement here and there but and the gooseberry like the idea yeah and the gooseberry yeah. probably gives like you know an acidity uh, like a lift acidity, which is great yes. yeah that's yes. very cool yes so what was the inspiration behind that dish I thought, honestly, the inspiration come from how many omakase I've had. 
<laughs> not necessarily that. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of Japanese, no lie.、Uh, not necessarily that the scallop was smoked, but more it was charred because Japanese chef likes to use the torch to char the scallops with uni on a rice or sushi rice or seaweed. So I thought that if we smoke it, because it's raw and it's just a light smoke, not only that you get a theatrical effect, you might also, and you know, enrich the, the 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 a hint of smokiness on a scallop, just like a torch, but without the actual torching of it. Because I still like the I like scallop when it's raw or ceviche. Yeah, I don't like. Yep. I think I mentioned to you when I was there. I do I do a scallop ceviche once a week, you know, on the weekend. So、mm. that's I love it. <laughs> so every time I go somewhere and there is you know raw scallops on the menu, ceviche or another form, you know, I I have to have、yes. it because it gives me some inspiration as well to do at my no level of home cook, but you know to do to take some inspiration and and I enjoy it. <laughs> So, how do you stay inspired in the kitchen, and what's your sources of inspiration in general? I'm guessing produce first, but what else? Yeah, I know, and I remember there are times where I'm run out of creativity or innovation is because I the, there was a you know the, the, you always get into a period of time where you're burned out in a restaurant, and things you you couldn't just crawl out of your exhaustion. Uh, but if you, if I'm well rested and I'm happy, I think the creativity always comes in like all corners. And mostly, it's because my husband and I are just we just love to eat. So we go to different places after work. In whichever city we're in now, in Austin, we just go out at nine o'clock, and then we、we'll、still go and eat and talk about food. All we do is just. Innovate or create or have a conversation about food everywhere we go, and you just keep on. It's a, it's a muscle, right? I think, I think for everything, athletes or musicians, they will always tell you, you can't really compose a song by thinking about it. You gotta practice and practice and practice. So it's a muscle. And you're lucky as well that your husband is a chef as well. So Matthew is, you know, for for the people that are listening、yes. that maybe you know. Do not have that <laughs> that knowledge or connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like each other so much that we.、Uh, yeah, I hope so. Talk about food all the time. <laughs> <laughs> <That's great. laughs> Let's switch to rapid fire questions. So, if you and I were going on a tasting tour in Austin, which are the five spots that you would take me to? Of course, outside of、uh, Zoe Tang. Oh my god, that's that's a rapid fire question. First of all, that's that's a challenging question. Uh, okay,、uh, we'll go to Julie's Noodles. We'll go to Dinho, which is a Cantonese place. It's an old school Cantonese place. We'll definitely go to Tatsumi. It's a very awesome Japanese sushi. Oh my god! We'll go to oh, you know what? We'll go to Valentino's. Valentino's is a barbecue place, but also it's that you can you can get tacos served in that. I think that's brilliant. A combination of both. One more place would be is that one more place? Yep. Oh yeah, Style Switch. It's a neighborhood barbecue joint that I love. That we love. Okay,、They're、awesome. What is your go-to guilty pleasure food? My go-to guilty pleasure food is noodles. Noodles. Like that, that, yeah. yeah. Why is it guilty? Yeah. You know what? It's not guilty. My guilty pleasure food, honestly, is、uh, dim sum. Specifically, it's tripe and chicken feet. Oh wow!、Yeah. I think I never had that one.、Yes. Tripe and chicken feet. Can you find that in Austin? Yeah, but you can. You can. Okay.、Uh, you can, but it's not. It's not the best one, but you can. Okay. 
It's actually in a supermarket. Yeah, mm. they have a okay. They have a hot deli. Ah, yeah. any recent cookbooks that you have and that caught your eyes and inspired you? Is this really really old book called Walk? Oh yeah, this yeah. book is like. Yeah, nineteen eighty-three or something. I like really old books these days. Uh-huh. But of course, I'm obsessed with new cookbooks, so I buy all the cookbooks. Okay. But the, the this this one in particular, I just I just find them find it very amusing. The eighties they talk about they talk about food that you're very familiar with, but in a very different perspective because it's old. You know, they're trying to explain to you what soy sauce is and what MSG is. What uh, oyster sauce is, but in English. So, if <laughs> so there's one lesson from your culinary journey that continues to resonate with you today, one lesson mm-hmm. it's always to clean your cutting board and knife after each time you cut stuff. Yeah, and always put your knife, or your blade horizontal to the cutting board with the sharp part of the blade away from you. Away from you, yeah. I tell this to safety, over safety over first. It's yeah. like a muscle memory. You, yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, you have to clean after you cut. Sure. Every time, each time. Otherwise, it's always a mess. And if your cutting board is a mess and not, your knife is a mess, then your, you know, everything else is a mess. When in doubt, clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have the other s- side of the question, which is in fact, sometime in life, people give you advice. It could be, you know, from like the culinary you know, space, so it could be in the business space and so on, or life in general is there's, but sometimes it's not a good advice. It's a, you know, worst advice. So if there's a worst advice that you have seen or heard that's given in the hospitality industry. Mm. Well, that's a very profound question. That's a very wise question. There's two, two, two sides of the coin coined. So you can work for someone or you can work as long as you can for some people. But it's still different when you open your own restaurant. So there is no how many years you have to work in order to open your own restaurant. Because whether it's five years or 20 years, opening your own restaurant, any moment when you see an opportunity is the best moment. So don't listen to people how many, t- how many years you have to. Because sometimes uh, doing it, doing, in the process of doing it, well, making the mistake, even if it's stupid mistake, is the right mistake to make in order for you to succeed. If there's a chef that you dream of collaborating with. Oh, wait, this person has to be alive, right? No. Oh, then it would be Julia Child, of course. Julia Child, okay. I mean, she's hilarious. I mean, it, it, compared to her, I'm probably very tiny since I mean, <laughs> her. She's a big woman, yes. Do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the duet will be interesting, yes, for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so I think it's my last question. What is your biggest pet mm-hmm. peeves in the kitchen? You know how the plastic wrap mm-hmm. is, you know, we have plastic wraps in, in the kitchen and people, people always destroy the the, the 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 top of the plastic wrap so if you can imagine your plastic wraps always open so all the dust and germs will always go inside so i hate that so usually i make sure that they don't destroy them okay yeah. there's a lot of chefs that said nothing nothing nothing, nothing profound no but, no but no no but a lot of chefs said to me that what is knowing to them is like the the blue tape on those containers yeah. that usually people don't yeah. take off, you know, 
and even if the container is oh yes yes <laughs> yes i also go around taking off people's containers about blue tape yeah <laughs> <laughs> but also you know not cutting the blue tape yeah correctly i know yeah uh, but now i have tape i have tape cut- cutters everywhere so that you, you can't really miss it <laughs> they cannot really. they, no it, excuse it will be inconvenient for you no excuse by <laughs> yeah you gotta provide the tools for people so they don't mess it up <laughs> Chef, thank you very much uh, for your time. I really appreciate the conversation. I hope you did as well. Uh, it was very, uh, very nice. It was very fun. Yeah, it was very fun. And just like that, we have reached the end of today's culinary journey with incredible chef Simon Tang. It's been an absolute pleasure uncovering the stories, inspiration, and flavors that make Zoe Tang a standout in Austin Vibrant's food scene. From her memorable childhood food experiences across the Eastern Hemisphere to her passion for local ingredients and community engagement, Chef Tong's truly a pioneer in the kitchen. And if today's episode has left you hungry for more or inspired you to explore the innovation dishes at Zoe Tong, we'd love for you to share this conversation with friends, family, or anyone curious about the magic happening in Austin's culinary scene. Remember, food is not just about sustenance. It's about stories, culture, and the joy of discovery. So until next time, keep exploring, tasting, and sharing the wonderful world of food. And until then, keep in mind that the people who likes to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at flavorsunknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.